God wanted me. And I, I don't need to be in. I, I hate this. I, I, I love this week, but I hate this day. <laughs> I look forward. I get to see Bill and Debbie uh, just basically one time a year. Occasionally we see them two times a year. And uh, Pam and I, they're not only our brothers and sisters in Christ, but they have been dear friends. But I hate to see them go, but I'm grateful that they're here again. Uh, Bill, come preach. Yeah, it does say it's you. It does say it's you. Sorry about that, dear. I don't know. I might want it to say. I might want it to, after I get finished, I might want it to say Gary Shepard. <laughs> I told Gary, I said, you might get death threats after this. You never know. Well, Richard, it's uh, it's mutual. Debbie and I both. We we just we love you all so much. We love love all the folks here. And uh, and like I said, this like I said the other night, this to be here with all of you all and uh, some of you have come so far. It just overwhelms me. And I know what you're here for. You're not here just to hear me or Gary. You're here because you want to worship the Lord. And, hear the truth, and you want to fellowship with one another, and that's so important. We need that. Uh, it, it's, it's just something, there's no replacement for it. It's the, uh, you know, one old writer said that our worship services, where Christ is preached, uh, that that's the closest to heaven we'll get here on earth. And I believe that's true, and I see that so, so much. So I do uh, want to express our appreciation for your hospitality and your gifts and your prayers for us, uh, uh, how, how pleasant and how good it is for brethren to come together. Uh, and I, I want to be a promoter of that. I know a lot of people think I'm not, but I am, and, and I try to be. Uh, so let's, uh, let's just enjoy the light of the glory of God that he's given us in his truth. And uh, uh, we may meet, meet again, we may not. Who knows? Gary said it when he turned 70, he said it went, would you like a rocket? Well, I'm fixing to get like a rocket then because I turned 70 in September if the Lord lets me li- uh, live that long. So I don't know. That didn't give me too much to look forward to, did it? <laughs> Falling rocket, yeah. Yeah, a dud. <laughs> well, let me get to the message that I believe the Lord has laid on my heart. I I dealt with some of this in part back in in the last message that I preached from mainly John chapter 2, but I want you to look at John chapter 3. And I want to talk about this. I I want to look at from the scripture this question, who is born of of God? Who is born of God? Who is born again? And when we speak of the new birth, we're talking about the issues of regeneration, conversion, conversion calling, all of those things. And here as Christ uh, confronts a man named Nicodemus, the man Nicodemus came to Christ by night. Verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. 
So we know he was a religious man. We know that he was a man who had attained high office in uh, the Jewish religion, in the Pharisees. It says, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. So Nicodemus recognized that, that Jesus of Nazareth uh, was, um, was sent from God. Now, he didn't, know, he didn't know Christ as Savior. He didn't know Christ as the, as the Messiah, the Lord. And so Christ confronts him with something that is just so interesting. Uh, he says in verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again. And you, you might have in your concordance that born again means born from above. So we're talking about a miraculous spiritual birth here, a born, born of God, born from above. He says he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't have spiritual eyes. And then Nicodemus, whose mind was on earthly things, thinking on earthly things like most false religionists do, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Well, then Christ answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, uh, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, I believe the reference to water there is the reference to the Word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. Some say, well, he's talking about physical birth, born of water. In other words, saying you've got to be born physically and spiritually, and that's true, no doubt about that. But I believe he's referring there to the Word of God, which is the, the water is an emblem of the Word. But what he's doing is he's trying to uh, uh, show the issues of this is a spiritual birth. It's not an earthly birth. And he says in verse 6, he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So he, he, he's showing there's something important too. But marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. Tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the spirit. Now let's, let's go over just a few things. What do we know about the new birth? Okay. What do we know uh, in Scripture? Well, we know, number one, the new birth is a necessary work. If salvation is to come, you must be born again, he said. It says, he didn't say you might be born again. Or you can be born again if you want to. He didn't say that. He said you must be born again. Because if you're not born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And the seeing there has to do with an understanding. A knowledge and understanding that brings a person to faith in Christ is what he's talking about. And you can't see that because you don't have spiritual eyes. You can't enter into the kingdom of heaven except you're born again. Now, why is that? Because we're born, naturally, we're born spiritually dead. We fell in Adam into a state of spiritual death and sin and depravity. And so in order to see and know and enter the kingdom of heaven, spiritually, we must be born from above. Ephesians 2, 1 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Man left to himself will not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Man of his own free will, which is non-existent, will not enter the kingdom of heaven. If you believe this message of God's grace today in Christ, it's because you've been born again. And if you walk out of here not believing, it's because God has left you alone, left you to yourself. So it's, it's a necessary work. Every one of God's elect, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, justified in him, for whom he was made surety, for whom he came to this earth and lived and died and was buried and rose again, will be born again. It's a necessary work. Well, secondly, here's another thing we know about it. The new birth is the result, the fruit, the uh, uh, evidence, of, uh, or we'll say, let's just keep it that way, the result and the fruit of the work of Christ in his obedience unto death to establish righteousness by which God has already justified us. You see, uh, in Romans 8.10, I quote this all the time, the body is dead because of sin, our physical bodies, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And so when we think about uh, the ground of salvation, well, that's the merits of Christ's work unto death, his obedience unto death, his righteousness, and that's his righteousness imputed. And the new birth is the product the result, the fruit of what Christ has accomplished in time on the cross. And let me make this statement here because this heresy, is, is, it's always been a problem throughout the history of, of uh, Christianity. The new birth is not our righteousness before God. That's right. Christ's righteousness is our righteousness before God. The merits of his obedience unto it. And when the scripture says that we are made the righteousness of God in him, it's talking about our justification, not our regeneration. When we stand before God, we have one righteousness to plead, and that's the blood of the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. And so when, just as Christ was made sin by the imputation of the, the sins of God's elect to him, we're made the righteousness of God by the imputation of his righteousness to us. And out of that, the, the fruit and the result of that is the new birth. So understand that. Another thing we know about the new birth is this, that it is a sovereign, powerful, invincible irresistible work of God, born of God. We read it the other night over in, in John chapter 1 where he talks about as many as received him, as believed in Christ and received him. In John 1 and verse 12, to them gave he power the right to become or to be called the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of, not of blood, nor the will or the works of the flesh, nor the will of man, but born of God. This is God's work. It's not man's work. And it is uh, what we would call, it's a, it's a unilateral work in the sense that God is the source and the power of it. 
It does, it's not a work that God works when he says, well, now I'll do this if you'll do that. It's not by, it's not by our cooperation. God makes us willing in the day of his power. He draws us by the Spirit to himself. But if God the Holy Spirit comes in power from Christ and makes that word effectual to you, you won't resist it. You can't resist it. I've always said it this way. If you're born again, you cannot ignore that truth. You cannot deny that truth. And you cannot leave that truth. That's so. Christ said, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh me I will no wise cast out. This is the will of him that sent me, that all which he giveth me I should lose nothing but raise it up again the last, at the last day. And then another thing we know about the new birth is this. It can only be known by its evidences. I believe that's what Christ is saying here in verse 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth. Thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh. Whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So with that in mind, who is it that we can see from the Word of God who is born of God? Well, let me give you several things here from the Scripture. First of all, turn over to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And the first thing that we understand about the new birth by way of what we might call evidences to understand who, are, who is born of God is that those, are born, those people are born of God to whom God has revealed the knowledge of himself in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ so as to bring them unto faith in Christ. And it's a revealed knowledge. God must reveal himself. Paul said it that way in Galatians 1. Uh, uh, I can't remember which verse it is, but in Galatians 1, he said, when it pleased the Lord to reveal himself in me. I've heard preachers say, uh, they'll, go, they'll say something like this. Say, well, now, see, Paul didn't say reveal himself to me, but in me. It's to me also. Because there's got to be the truth. If God's going to reveal himself, how's he going to reveal himself apart from the truth? The Spirit of God who does this great work is the Spirit of truth. Christ said, I am the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. So look at Romans 1 and verse 16. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now there's your key. The gospel of Christ. People argue all the time, well, what do you have to know? A lot of people, I think, that question should be put in the form of, what can I get away with not knowing? You've got to know the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? Well, we're told in the Bible that the gospel is the revelation of God, of the glorious person and the finished work of Christ as the surety, the substitute, the redeemer of his people, whom God chose before the foundation of the world and gave to him. And all of that is secured in Christ by his obedience unto death, which is summarized in this term, the righteousness of God. Look back. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. 
Now, how can the gospel be the power of God? Only by virtue of the power of the Holy Spirit who makes it effectual to our salvation, to our new birth, our regeneration and conversion. He said, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. That's the gift of faith, God-given faith. God laying the foundation in our hearts. And he says, to the Jew first and to the Greek also, for therein is the righteousness of God. What is the righteousness of God? It's the merit, the value, the worth of the obedience and death uh, unto death of Jesus Christ for the sins of his people. So it's the righteousness of God revealed from faith. Now that word faith there, I believe, is the embodiment of the gospel itself, the truth, knowledge revealed, who God is in his holiness, his justice, and his mercy and his grace, who we are in our sinfulness, our depravity, Remember, the Spirit convicts us of sin because we believe not on Christ. He convicts us of righteousness because Christ has gone unto the Father. He convicts us of judgment because the prince of this world is cast out. That's the embodiment of this faith. It's not just believing something. It's believing the truth. It's believing in Christ. And so it's knowledge revealed from faith, a, a knowledge that God gives me through the preaching of the gospel. And it's to faith. That's the gift of faith whereby we receive it. We believe it. For by grace are you saved. Through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's from faith to faith. And it says, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The justified, those whose sins have been washed away by the blood, forgiven, those who have been declared righteous, in God's sight, through Christ's righteousness imputed, they live by faith. They live by looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's how we live. And I believe even when the Bible speaks about right living, that's what it's talking about. It's not just talking about human morality. That's included. But it's living in the light of Christ, knowing that he's the only righteousness we have that I have none within myself. And that's the testimony of the Spirit. Let me show you another one here. Look at Romans chapter 6. And look at verse 17. Paul writes, But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin. Now the servant of sin there is an unbeliever. But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, that teaching, which was delivered to you, and I believe literally that means which you were delivered to. God in his providence brought you under the preaching of the gospel. He delivered you here. And being then made free from sin, that word freed there means liberated, you became the servants of righteousness, which is servants of Christ. And one more, turn to Romans chapter 10. This is the calling of the gospel and the power of the Spirit. Who are born again? Those who know God as he reveals himself in the glorious person and finished work of Christ who is the very righteousness of God. Verse 1 
of Romans 10, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. They're missing some knowledge. Well, what knowledge are they missing? Verse 3, they being ignorant of God's righteousness. What does God require for salvation? What, what is just in God's sight? God's justice, you can say. What is it? Well, somebody says, well, uh, we got to be the best people we can be. We've got to do our work. We've got to work hard and do, do our best. We've got to keep the law. We've got to get baptized. We've got to join a church. We've got to give our hearts to Jesus. Is that what God requires? If that's what you believe, I want you to know you're ignorant of God's righteousness. Well, look on. He says, they're going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Remember back in Romans 1.17, this is the revelation of the righteousness of God. What is the righteousness of God? Look at verse 4. Christ is the end of the law, the finishing, the fulfillment of the law, the perfection of the law to everyone that believeth. You see that? For righteousness to everyone that believeth. It's all Christ, and that's how God lays the foundation. This is the doctrine of Christ. It shows us who we are in the, sight, in the light of God's holiness and justice, what we need in light of God's mercy and grace that can only be found in this one person who is God manifest in the flesh. That's the doctrine of Christ, who did that one work on the cross that made things right, with God and his people, from the Old Testament to the rest, all the way up. That's who's born of God. They know him. Let me give you this one. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Who is born of God? Those to whom God has revealed himself in the glorious person and finished work of Christ. And that includes the revelation of our sinfulness, our depravity, our weakness. Lord, if thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, who shall stay? What you preached this morning, who shall eat anything to the charge of God's elect? If you know yourself, that's one of the most precious verses in the Bible to you. It's God that justifieth. I think about that all the time. Look here in Philippians chapter 3. Those who are born of God are those who have been given the gift of repentance of dead works and idolatry. Now, this world has confused and really misunderstood the idea of repentance. Most people think repentance has to do with reformations of character and conduct. And though that may be included as an offshoot of repentance, that's not biblical repentance. In the Old Testament, the idea of repentance was a change of direction, totally opposite. What is it, a 180-degree turnaround? I heard a preacher say 360 degrees one time, but that's... No, it's 100... If you're going north, you turn and go south. If you're going south, you turn and go north. 
The idea of repentance in the New Testament is a change of mind, a change of heart. What is the mind? What is the heart? The mind, the affections, the will, the conscience. And what it has to do with is a change of mind that God brings about by the Spirit concerning who God is and who we are and how God saves sinners. And I'll tell you what, I believe most of us, I, I, I don't want to make these blanket statements all the time, but I believe most of us were saved out of religion. I know the Apostle Paul was. Now, you may have been saved out of the bar room, or you may have been saved out of the drug den. I don't know. And if you were, that's great. But I was saved out of a seminary where I was learning to preach a false gospel. You were saved out of a pulpit. You were saved out of a pulpit. You were saved out of religion, weren't you? And I'll tell you, it rocked my world. It turned my world upside down. I found out that I was trying to be a theologian. I didn't even know the true and living God. I was worshiping an idol. Because the God who would accept a sinner like me on any other ground, other than the, the worthiness, the merit, the righteousness of his son is an idol. Listen to what Paul says here in Philippians chapter 3. This is, this is repentance that the Holy Spirit has brought by bringing a sinner to faith in Christ because they come together, faith and repentance. You can't turn to Christ without turning away from self. And he says in verse 7, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Everything that I thought was noble and right and recommended me unto God, I found out was an abomination to God. And now what the scripture says in what Luke 16, 15, that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination to God. He says in verse 8, Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Now that's repentance. That's a change of mind. Paul didn't say, well, now if, if God will accept me if I stop drinking and stop doing this and stop doing... no. He says, verse 9, he says, I want to be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Think about that. What a change. That's the kind of change that it takes the power of God in Christ to bring about. And Paul's simply saying here, when I saw the, 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 the risen, glorified Christ in his glory, what God requires to save a sinner like me, what it took for Christ to accomplish the ground upon which God would save me, justify me, his redemptive work, when I saw that, all the things that I really thought were impressive to God, I found that, that they mean absolutely nothing, less than nothing, even dung, he says. 
That's the gift of repentance. That's what comes when, when we're born again. Let me give you another one. Turn to Romans chapter 7. Those who are born of God are those who ha- whose hearts have been established with grace so as that their motive for obedience is not legalism, not threats of punishment, not fear of loss of reward, not mercenary motives. If you do this, God will add this to you, that kind of thing. But establish with grace, with gratitude, and with love. And even then, because of the presence of the flesh, it's a battle, isn't it? Look at Romans chapter 7, look at verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law. Now, what does that mean? That means the law has no power over me to condemn me. I cannot be condemned. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. Who can condemn us? It's Christ that died. And why are we dead to, how are we dead to the law? By our works? By our efforts? By our decisions? No. By the body of Christ. Is, can it be any clearer? And he says that you should be married, united, wed to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should what? Bring forth fruit unto God. Now, in these next two verses, he describes what is fruit unto God and what is fruit unto death. Look at it, verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, the motions or the passions of sins, which were by the law. Now, I believe mainly what he's talking about is sinners who by the law are are trying to fulfill a passion to be made righteous by their works. And he says, did work in our members to bring forth what? Fruit unto death. Works aimed at salvation. Works aimed at righteousness before God. He calls them fruit unto death. Legalism. But look at verse 6. But now we are delivered from the law. The law has no hold on. We're dead to the law. That being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in how? In newness of spirit and not in oldness of the letter. Now, what is that newness of the spirit? It's faith which worketh by love. You see, the Holy Spirit in the new birth gives us a new motive, a new passion, a new goal. He removed that that, that motive of legalism. Of course, it's still present in the flesh. As as Brother Tim James used to say, we're all recovering Pharisees. And we have to fight those old motives of legalism. But he's given us a new motive of grace. Everything I have in salvation, all of its benefits and blessings, it's grace. I didn't earn any of it. And I don't deserve any of it. Do you understand that? If God ever gave me what I've earned or deserved right now, I would be damned forever. It's a gift. Why did he give it to me? 
and not to somebody else more worthy because there's a bunch more worthy than I am. But why did he do that? The only answer the Bible gives is what Christ said in Matthew 11, for so, Father, it seemed good in thy sight. God said it in Romans 9. He said, I'll be merciful to whom I'll be merciful. I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. Think about all the people this morning who are on their way or already in a church worshiping a false god. Why aren't you with them? Why aren't I there too? Deceived? Wow. Wow. That's amazing. And then gratitude. If you are aware of what God has given you by the power of the Holy Spirit in the new birth, don't you want to thank God with your life? And I'm not just talking about looking up into the sky and saying, thank you, Lord. Yeah, do that. That's okay. I'm talking about with your life. I want to glorify God. I don't always do that in the way I act. I mess up a lot. But I want to thank God. That's why we worship. You're thanking God. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. That's gratitude. It's not just, it's not just saying, well, so I'm saved by grace and I can go out here and live like hell if I want. No. That's no gratitude. That's spitting in the face of the God you profess to believe. And then love, faith which worketh by love. I can tell you right now, because of God's grace in my life and because of the Spirit's work in my life, I love God, but I don't have anything to brag about. I don't love him like I ought to love him. And when I stand before God at judgment, I'm not going to stand there proudly and say, well, God, look how much I loved you. No. I'm going to say, Lord, look how much you loved me and gave yourself for me, the propitiation for my sins. I have nothing to plead before God but his righteousness. I'm not going to, by the grace of God, I'm not going to be like that Pharisee. Well, I thank God that I'm not like other people that I've done this and done that. You know, they used to get up and give these testimonies, and somebody called them bragamonies. My only plea, Christ died for me. Take me as I am. A sinner saved by grace. I love that hymn. Only a sinner saved by grace. This is my story. To God be the glory. And that's the motive of grace and gratitude and love. And we want to glorify God. The good works of a believer should never be intended to draw attention to self, but only to point to the power and the goodness and the righteousness and the love and the glory of God. Don't look to me. That's old John the Baptist. He knew that story, didn't he? He knew how to do it. He said, look, I'm not your Savior. He said, 
Christ must increase, I must decrease. Brother Mahan used to say, preach Christ and get out of the way. That's who's born of God. Here's another one. Turn to, turn to 1 John 3, and I'll hurry here. 1 John chapter 3. Those who are born of God are those who, are, who love the brethren in the faith. Love the brethren in the faith. Look at 1 John 3, verse 11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now, you know this love is not natural to us. This is not just general love of humanity love of family. This is a godly love that's given to us in the new birth by the Spirit shed abroad within our hearts. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And he says in verse 12, not as Cain who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And why did he slay him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. The world will hate you for this love. Do you see that? If you express this kind of love, you, call, you know why it will hate you? Because it force, this kind of love forces us to tell them the truth, to spread forth the light that men and women by nature hate, to glorify God and not men. If a person would tell me, for example, and I'm not saying I'm the judge and the jury and the executioner, and I'm not saying I know the hearts of all people. I don't. Only God does. But if a person would come and tell you and say, now, I'm, I'm going to do the best I can, and that'll be enough at judgment, what are you going to tell that person? If you love that person, I'm going to say, my friend, that'll send you right to hell. You're lost. People don't like to hear And the world doesn't perceive that as love, do they? They say, well, you're crazy. Or you think you're right and everybody's wrong. But look at verse 14. But we know that we have passed from death unto life. That's the new birth. Because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us love not, not, let us not love in word, just say it, but neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Now this love, is that love which God has given us in Christ that binds us together in the faith. It doesn't always express itself in the fact that we just like everybody. We may have brothers and sisters in Christ that we just don't get along with, personality clashes, all kinds of things, and we're all sinners you all have heard me quote the poem, to live above with saints we love will be an awesome glory. To live below with saints we know, well, that's another story. 
But what keeps us together, even in spite of our sinfulness and selfishness? It's our mutual love for God in Christ. Somebody in the church here makes you mad. What are you going to do? You're going to leave? Huh? You're going to take your ball and go home because they're not playing by your rules? Well, now, if you love God and you love his truth, you're going to come where the man who stands behind this pulpit preaches that God you love and that truth you love, and you're going to support the brethren in the faith. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about our personalities and all and, and listen, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not excusing us when we have, do bad things and make mistakes and have a terrible personality. No, we should all try to improve those things. And we should, be, we should be able to love and to forgive and to forbear one another and to say, I'm sorry, and to say, I forgive you, all of that. But that which binds us together and keeps us together is the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. I like what Peter said when Christ, the multitude went away and Christ turned to him and said, you're going to go also? He said, to whom shall we go? You've got the words of life. I hope that you love and you get along with the person who's sitting next to you. But even if you don't, this is where you need to be. You need to hear the truth. Don't you want to hear somebody get up and like Richard does every Sunday and brag on your Savior? Like Gary does. Kenny, when you preach, and Aub, when you preach, don't you? That's what I want. I want to be there. I don't want to miss that. Well, that's who's born of God. And then lastly, turn to 1 John chapter 3 again. Stay right there. And go over to verse 9. Who's born of God? This last point, those who persevere in the faith. And they do so not by their own power, not by their own goodness, but by the power and the goodness and the grace of God. Now, I don't have time to go into all the context of this verse. I've got messages on this, and I've, I've, uh, I've even argued with preachers over this. I told one one time, I said, your problem is you never get, let the scriptures get in the way of your theology. But listen to what it says in verse 9. We'll just read verse 9. Whosoever is born of God, that's what we're talking about, isn't it? Doth not commit sin. Well, is that what it says? Yeah. And he cannot sin, for his seed remaineth in him. And he cannot sin because he's born of God. Well, what's John talking about? Well, you've got to go back to the context of this. And you'll find that what the Apostle John is speaking of is something very specific in a particular context concerning what he had written over, for example, look across the page to 1 John 2. Verse 18, he says, little children, this is 1 John 2 and verse 18, it is the last time, and as you have heard, the, that Antichrist shall come, 
Even now are there many antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Now look at verse 19. This is important. They went out from us. They left. Now who's he talking about? But they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. He's talking about the many in this church who had apostatized. As Paul said, they went unto perdition. They claimed to believe the gospel, the same gospel you believe. But then they left it. They turned against it, forsook it. And what does John say about them? Well, they were saved, but then they lost their salvation. No, that's not what he says. He said they never were saved. They never were born again. They never were true believers. If they had been, what would they have done? They'd re remained with us, but they went out. And that's what he says in verse 20, but you have an unction from the Holy One. You've got an anointing from Christ, and you know all things, all things pertaining to salvation. You read the rest of these verses. Now, what he's saying over here in verse 9 is, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. He's talking about the sin of apostasy. If you are truly born of God, you cannot apostatize. As I said, you can't ignore it, you can't deny it, and you can't leave it. And you know why? It's because God will not let you go. I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able, not that I'm able, he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And what have I committed unto him? My whole salvation. Not one part of my salvation is committed unto me, but I'm committed to it, and he's committed to me. And that's what John is saying He's, some people, they go to this verse and they say, well, that's talking about a new sinless nature. My friend, that's heresy. Or there's part of me that does not sin. Where do you find that in the Bible? That's a, that's a dichotomy that the Greeks might come up with, but not, not, not the Word of God. He says this, he says, for his seed remaineth in him. What is that seed? That's his children. That's his offspring. That's what that word means. In other words, the children of God, they remain in God, in Christ. And he cannot sin. He cannot leave. He cannot apostatize. Because he's born of God. God does not impute sin to him because Christ died for him. The Holy Spirit resides within him. And though he may stray for a while, he's on God's leash. <laughs> That's what we are. We're people on God's leash. We're children. Sometimes God lets us stray, but he's always going to bring us back. He will not let us apostatize. We will persevere unto the end by the grace and the power and the glory of God.